The poet Walt Whitman once said, I do not ask the wounded person how he feels. I myself become the wounded person. And it is this type of support that we need when the storms strike. And it's the type of support that Tammy has so encouraged us with as she has received from her family. We need such support. Such support from loved ones who will enter our world and enter our hurt and support us with mercy, support us with prayer, support us with, as one of you have put it to me, little acts of encouragement that reveal God's love in big ways. Support. Support. If only Job had received this kind of support. He lost everything. He lost his possessions. He lost every asset. He lost his children. He lost his health. And he doesn't know why. He has no idea why he's lost everything. And his best friends come with every intention to show support, yet the longer they speak, the less support they offer. His friends are absolutely convinced that the reason why he's suffering is because he sinned. I mean, they see corn growing, and they say, someone's planted corn seeds. They see suffering emerging from the life of this once greatest sheik of all the East, and they just assume, well, he sinned. If A, then B. You reap what you sow. If you've, if you've reaped suffering, it's because you've sown sin. I mean, they will not budge from that position. They're absolutely convinced that Job has sinned. But you and I know otherwise because we've read Job chapter 1 and 2. We know that it's not because Job has sinned. We know that it's a test that Satan accused Job and God of that, that Job was pious because it paid. But if you take away the perks then the worship will just crumble. And so God allowed this, these two tests to take place. The first test was the stripping of Job's possessions and children. And Job responded with a resounding chorus of praise. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. God be praised. And Satan returns and says, give me his health and he'll curse you. And God said, all right, but you can't take his life. Always the Lord is in control. Even in Job's testing, the Lord is in control. And he leashes this lion, Satan. He's leashed. But Job's health is taken away. It's a test. If you took away every reason for believing in God, would you? Would you? That's what we're finding out about Job. And he passes the test. But his friends... The, they haven't read Job 1 and 2. Job hasn't read Job 1 and 2. He's, not, he's never going to know. He's never going to know what we know in chapters 1 and 2. And yet his friends are absolutely, they act, like, they act like they have read it, but they haven't. 
And so they begin this series of conversations with him in which they just try to get him. Job, you suffer because you sin. Just repent, man, and you'll get it all back. And if Job would have bought into their perspective, he would have been doing exactly what Satan had accused him of. And this morning, we're going to hear from Job's second friend, Bildad. Now, he's not a hobbit, okay? <laughs> Someone did tease at me last week saying, well, he may have been. His name was Bildad the Shuhite, and I groaned. But we're going to hear from Bildad today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Job chapter 8. Job chapter 8, we're going to hear Bildad's response. Bildad's reply to Job. And uh, as our study today unfolds, it's as if we are in the deepest, darkest, blackest hole. That just when we think it can't get any deeper and darker, there's an explosion of supernova light and faith and hope. Well, let's live for a little bit in the hole as we hear from Bildad. Bildad the shoe height replied, chapter 8, verse 2, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against them, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Now that's a new development, isn't it? Now Bildad is saying that not only has Job sinned, and that's why he's suffering, he's now upping the ante and saying, your kids sinned, that's why they were put to death. That's why they were given over to the penalty of their sin. And you see what's happening? Whenever you begin to build siege works around your particular perspective, you build it, but then you also demonize the other side. That's what Bildad's doing. Happens in our country about once every election year, I think. Job chapter 8, verse 20 says, Surely God does not reject a blameless man or strengthen the hand of evildoers. Huh? Well, Job, Job doesn't buy his argument. Man, there's a huge conflict going on. And then, then Bildad comes back in round two. And you can see it up on the screen or you can flip over to Job 18, verse 3. Bildad says to Job, why are we regarded as cattle and considered stupid? You think we're stupid, Job? We can see what's going on. We can see what's happening in your life. You've sinned. That's why you're on the ash. Why do you treat us as if we're stupid? He stopped comforting. That, this is not comfort. This is not support. Instead of listening, Bildad lectures. And the lesson for us here is whenever we stop listening and start lecturing, we cease to support those who suffer. And this, this reaches its fullest in the shortest, most toxic verse in Job. Job chapter 25, straight from Bildad the Shuhite's mouth. I mean, after a while, you know, the argu all of the issues are on the table in this, in this argument. All of the issues are on the table in round one. What happens afterwards is everybody just yells louder 
Job 25. Bildad the Shuhite replied, Dominion and honor belong to God, Job. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. Can his forces be numbered? Upon whom does his light not rise? How then can a man be righteous before God? How can one born of a woman be pure, even if the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes? How much less man who is but a maggot, a son of man who is only a worm? Job, Job, God is almighty. You're a maggot. Have a good day. Now, the next time you're in the hospital seeing someone, stay away from this chapter, will you? Stick with Psalm 23, all right? I mean, that's Bildad. He has stopped listening. He stopped supporting. He's lecturing. He's sermonizing. And he has sacrificed Job on the altar of his dogmatic, mystery-free, stainless steel theological system. But Job doesn't buy it. He doesn't buy it one bit. And what I want us to do now is I want us to, I want us to turn back, now that we've heard from Bildad in all three rounds, we've heard from him, all right, enough of Bildad. Let's hear Job. I want you to turn to Job chapter 19. It's on page 369 of your church Bibles. And Job responds to Bildad. He responds. He, he, he responds to this black hole in a way that then, by the end of this chapter, explodes in a supernova of light. Job chapter 19. When Bildad says that, you know, Job's like a maggot, Job says, Bildad, you're not helping. You're, you're, not, you're not helping. Then Job replied, verse 2, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now, meaning over and over and over, you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If, it's, if I have sinned, it's none of your beeswax, Bildad. And if indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, if that's what this is about, well, then, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. And, and then look down in verse 21. Job pleads, he says, have pity on me, my friends. This is your version of pity? This, did, you, did you skip class the day they taught pastoral ministry in school? What? Have pity on me, for the hand of God has struck me. Does the patient need to instruct the pastor as to how to show pity? I need support. You've stopped supporting. You're sermonizing. And you've sacrificed me on your altar. And I don't get any support. And then Job says in verses 13 through 20 that his reservoir of community support and family support has just dried up. He says, my friends have stopped supporting my neighbors have stopped supporting. My relatives, my servants have stopped supporting. I some, verse 16, I summon my servant, but he does not answer. Though I beg him, I, when the boss has to beg the boss for service, something's wrong here. 
And Job's health is deteriorated. He stinks. He stinks. He says his breath is foul. He has this foul odor. And then even in verse 18, children who in this patriarchal society, it was just an unspoken, unwritten norm that they would show deference to someone who is older. They diss him. Even children disrespect him. Even little boys scorn me when I appear. They ridicule me. Now they make fun of him. And, you know, maybe it's that they think God's getting ready to finish Job off and they don't want to be around when that last lightning bolt strikes him. They don't want to be a part of the collateral damage that may come with Job's demise. And this, this, you're no help cry then becomes something that we can hear even today the cry of feeling totally alone, totally alone. Job has lost something incredibly valuable, and that's community. Oh, the, the community's still there. They're there. They're just, he just doesn't feel their fellowship. Some of you feel like that. Even now, this room is full of people, but maybe some of you don't feel that there's any community at all, you know? You're here with others, but you feel alone. And you've had people walk out on you. Marriage, friendships. And I'm not just talking about the fact that they ended. I mean, you can recall in your mind while sitting here the separation event when that person, that person that you loved, when they physically pushed themselves away from the table scooted the chair back, and they got up, and they walked out the door, and they left, and the door slammed shut. And there you were, alone. If that has happened to you, um, I understand. And if that has not happened to you, I hope that it never does. But Job feels that way. He feels as if God has forgotten him. He's left. Totally left. And I'm thinking of something that C.S. Lewis wrote in his uh, book, A Grief Observed. The, the man who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Lamenting the loss of his beloved wife, Joy Gresham. He wrote, Meanwhile, where is God? Where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you, when you are happy, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. And you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the window. The house is empty. Was it ever inhabited? Was there anybody ever really there? It seemed so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? And then Lewis says this. He says, 
Not that I think I'm in danger of ceasing to believe in God. That's not the danger I feel. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but so this is what you're really like. Deceive yourself no longer. Job laments this. In chapter 19, verse 7, though I cry, I've been wrong. I get no response. Though I call for help, there's no justice. I can't get a hearing, Job says. God will not respond to my summons. He's silent. I've been barricaded. I've been stripped of my leadership. He's blocked my way, verse 8, so I cannot pass. He stripped me of my honor, verse 9. He tears me down on every side till I'm gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. That is, he doesn't just cut the tree down to the bottom of the stump. I mean, at least shoots could grow out then. No, he takes the root all the way out. The tree is dead. Verse 12 says, his troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me. God builds siege works. And notice he says, not against my city. No, but against my tent. Who builds siege works around a tent? Isn't that overkill? And in fact, Job is so convinced of his death, there in this, this deepest, blackest, darkest hole, he just, he groans with an, oh, oh, that. You see that? Chapter 19, verse 23. Oh, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, inscribed with an iron tool on lead, engraved in a rock forever. Job wants his story permanently recorded so that after he, he dies, at least the monument will tell his side. You know those state historical markers that we see along the roadside? Huh? It was at this dump site that Job professed his innocence in the face of an empty accusations from his friends, which after his death he was vindicated. That's what Job wants. All that, he says. All that. And, and that groan, all that. Uh, those two words, all that. Oh, those are, those are very important words in this chapter. And here's why. Uh, don't miss this. If we miss this, we're going to miss the explosion that's going to come here in just a moment. Oh, that. The very first time Job says, oh, that, is in Job chapter 6, verse 8, when he says, oh, that God would just finish me off, just take my life away from me. He says it again here, but he's not asking God to crush him. He just wants his day in court. It's almost as if Job's faith gets a second wind. It's as if being tormented by these miserable comforters galvanizes truth and authentic faith in the support that Job wants from God himself. And do you see why this matters, church family? The longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize how worthless other non-Christ-focused-based philosophies are. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I see the wisdom of God's word, the truth of Christianity. We did not make this up yesterday. What we're, what we're singing about and reading about, we did not make this up yesterday. This is 2,000 years old. And believers have been doing what we've been doing for two millennia. And let me tell you this. You may be suffering in a black hole. You are not the first and you will not be the last. And Job's faith galvanizes as he hears the paper-thin perspectives of his friends. And it's at this point where I see the truth of this passage coming into brilliant clarity, and it's simply this. 
God often allows authentic, true faith to emerge from the black hole of inexplicable suffering and insufficient reasons for such suffering. God often lets true faith support us from the black holes of hurt. And I'm not talking about faith in faith because it's not just believing that matters. It's the object of our faith. And that's where we get to this beautiful verse in 1925 where Job explodes in a supernova of faith. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Now circle that word Redeemer because that is a rich word in Old Testament culture. It's a word that every family would have been familiar with in the Old Testament. Because every family in the Old Testament had a redeemer. Every family. The redeemer was the principal family advocate in the Old Testament. Every family had a redeemer. And that redeemer was the closest family relative. And it was the redeemer's role to buy back land that was lost so that that land would be kept in the family. Write down Leviticus 25, 25. Leviticus 25, 25, and you can read about the Redeemer. It was the Redeemer's role to redeem a family member should that family member fall into slavery. It was the Redeemer's role to avenge a murdered relative or to intervene against a victimized family member to see that justice was done. It was the Redeemer's role to defend the orphan and the widow, to to be the champion of the oppressed within the family. That was the Redeemer's role. The Redeemer's chief role was to secure the family's standing and Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand. That is the language of law. Job is convinced that his Redeemer will stand in support of him as his advocate and his representative when he finally gets his day in court. Job says, I'm not, I will not stop trusting. And who is this Redeemer? Who is this? And I'm convinced it's God himself. And yet, at the same time, I understand how that may not make sense. Because if God is Job's redeemer, then that means Job needs God to defend him against uh, God. That sounds absurd. And yet, is it really? Is it really? Because he is in unspeakable pain and suffering It's as if he's saying, God, I feel as if you are totally against me. I need you to be totally for me. How how can that be? How can that be? And this is the beauty of living on this side of the cross because I don't know how Job figured that out, but I know how we know. I know how we know. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus, God the Son, is our advocate, our kinsman redeemer before God the Father. 1 John 2, 1 says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That's our Redeemer. Jesus is our 
closest family relative. He was sent to secure our rights. He supports us. Our Redeemer bears the punishment and justice that we deserve. Jesus was abandoned in his suffering so that we would never be abandoned. You see? Now that support. Bildad was wrong. Bildad said, surely God does not reject a blameless man. And yet he did. He did. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But he did so so that we would never be abandoned. And that's what Job needed to hear. That's what we need to hear. We need to hear of the one who will do more than just listen, but the one who offers support so that whenever we suffer, we know, in fact, that we are not alone. You are not alone. And even if that suffering leads to death, there's resurrection talk here, verse 26 and 27. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Now that's support. That is support from Jesus, our Redeemer. See the supernova? Someone once said, thank God we cannot tell the future or we'd never get out of bed. But if you trust the resurrection of Christ, then you'll know that your suffering can be to your glory. And that even after our skin has been destroyed in our flesh, we will see God. That support. And let me just take it a step further here, church family. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he left his presence here on earth in the form of the church, right? The church, Windsor Road Christian Church, is the living presence of Jesus Christ today. If you are a part of this church community, you're a believer, you are the living presence of Jesus Christ today. You are. We are. And thus it is our ministry to see to it that others do not have to be alone. And so when we hear someone say, where is God when I hurt? Maybe we need to interpret that to where is the church when I hurt? Not, not just where is Randy, not just where's the church staff, not just where's the church elders. I mean, where's the church, the church community? That's what I'm talking about. It is our ministry to see to it that others don't have to be alone. If you are a Christian, God is calling you to minister to those and to support them who are suffering. The question is this, will you be Jesus? Will you be Jesus to support? Those who suffer. That's the kind of support people need, and that's the kind of support we can give. And that's the kind of support I want us to consider this morning. Here's what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to pray here in just a minute. And then uh, Kevin is going to come, and he's going to share in song. And after he's... Uh, finished with his song, we're going to dismiss. Um, 
And I have asked our elders, our deacons, our church uh, leaders uh, to just fan out. And if you want to take your positions now, just to fan out around the perimeter of our worship room. And if you need support, if you need prayer support, if you need the support of encouragement, we want to give that to you. We want to offer that to you now. Um, and, if, uh, um, and if you don't need that, then God be praised. Uh, you can be dismissed. We are the living presence of Jesus today. Let's be Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for redeeming us. Jesus, thank you for being our brother. And now you have given us your Holy Spirit and we want to extend your touch, your spirit through these still frail bodies. That's the miracle, isn't it? We love you. Amen.